Welcome to Habits for Happiness with Lady Fuller. The path to happiness is paved with healthy habits. We spend much of our lives searching for happiness when the key we're looking for is right there inside of us. We can discover that key through habit change, which you are about to learn about. Now, here is your host, Lady Fuller. Welcome to Habits for Happiness, the show where we discuss habits you can employ in your daily life to make you happier. Here on Habits for Happiness today to talk about the habit of let love lead is the renowned speaker and author, Marcy Shimop. Welcome, Marcy. Thank you. It's so wonderful to get to be here with you, lady. Yeah, We're going to have a great time. The pleasure is all mine. And we are pre-recording today's show, but it is on Valentine's Day. And I have to tell you, for anyone who can't see us, Marcy is wearing the most amazing red outfit and just vibrating love. So I love it. <laughs> and there are flowers here. There are flowers. There husband. are. Oh, I love that. Well, let me introduce you because you have a, a tremendous bio. So this is this is an edited bio. Um, and you can tell us more about yourself as we chat. But Marcy is a number one New York Times bestselling author, a world-renowned transformational leader, and an expert on happiness, success, and unconditional love. Her books include the international bestsellers, Happy for No Reason, and Love for No Reason. Marcy's also the woman's face, the biggest self-help book phenomenon in history, as co-author of six books in the Chicken Soup for the Soul series amazing, with total book sales of more than 16 million copies in 33 languages. Marcy is one of the best-selling female nonfiction authors of all time. Marthy's Marcy is ultra-featured and teacher in the international film and book sensation, The Secret, which I just re-watched and is amazing. So for those of you who haven't seen it lately, watch it on Amazon Prime. The Secret and the host of the PBS TV show called Happy for No Reason. She narrated the award-winning movie, called happy. There's a lot more about Marcy, but I'll, <laughs> I'll get to the punch as Marcy's message has touched the hearts and rekindled the spirits of millions of people throughout the world. She is dedicated to helping people live more empowered and joy-filled lives. Mm. Amazing. So let's open with, you know, what does happiness mean to you? You've, you've lived it, you've breathed it, you've written about it, you've made movies about it. You know, for the listeners that maybe sort of don't have a clear understanding of what that term means, what does that mean for you? Yes. Yeah, so I define happiness. My definition is called happy for no reason. And it means an inner state of peace and well-being that doesn't depend on your circumstances. Mm. Because the minute that we have our happiness depend on our circumstances, which is the way most people are out searching for happiness, that's not very uh, a very steady foundation for happiness because then something happens and the rug gets pulled out from under you and your happiness is gone. So if your happiness is contingent on something happening, that is not a good scenario. And, you know, lady, I, before we go any further, I should really be fully disclosing about my own life because most people assume that, you know, I was always happy and it's easy for me and all of that. And I just want to be so honest about this because the reality <laughs> is, is that I was born depressed. Really? I came out of the womb with what I call existential angst. I was just an unhappy kid from the get-go. And I, it was weird because I had a great family, wonderful parents, and, you know, always good on the outside, but inside I felt this just deep heaviness. I remember in the fifth grade, now you're probably, I mean, not the fifth grade, in kindergarten, you're probably too young to remember this, but I used to watch Romper Room. No, I remember Romper Room. Really? Yes. Well, in Romper Room, you know, everybody is all happy and all happy and everything's great. And I'm like five <laughs> years old and I'm thinking, how can these people be happy? They're suffering in the world. You know, I felt like, I feel like I was a really major empath. So I was yeah. just depressed. It's hard and for us empaths to be what? happy all the time. It's hard for us empaths to be it, happy all the it time. It is. It is. And you know, what happened was for me, I ended up, um, the thing that made me the happiest, uh, I found a solution as a kid and it was called sugar. Sugar became my solution. And when I would eat sugar, I'd feel happy for a little bit. Um, then of course I'd need more. And by the time I was in high school, I was about 35 pounds overweight. And, you know, so that solution wasn't really great. And then when I was in my twenties, I did what I think most people do. 
I set goals for myself. And I figured that once I hit those goals, that's it. I would be happy. Can you relate to that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Believe me, I spent my whole life searching for happiness outside of myself. So you're, you're speaking my language. You know, here's what happened to me when I set these goals. I set five of them. I thought I needed a great career helping people, um, wonderful friends and, and uh, you know, great friends, a fabulous husband or life partner, a comfortable home, and the equivalent of Halle Berry's body. Well, and I worked really I might hard. be happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I worked really hard and I did get four out of the five. I don't have Halle Berry's body, but I have a healthy body for which I'm grateful. And I'll tell you, I had a turning point moment. It was in 1998. I had three books at the top on the top five in the New York best, Times bestseller list at the same time. I had all those other things working in my life. And I had just given a speech to 8,000 women. And I had autographed 5,432 books. I, um, you know, my client had hired a massage therapist to massage my hand so I could keep on signing. And on one hand, I felt like an author rock star. But I remember after signing that last book, I went up to my hotel room, walked over to this huge window overlooking Lake Michigan. I was in Chicago. And I turned around. And I fell over onto the bed and I collapsed in tears. Mm -hmm. And I collapsed into tears because I realized I had worked my whole life to get everything in order to be happy. And I still wasn't. I still felt that same pain in my heart, that same emptiness. And that's when I dove head on. I said, this is it. This is, I can't, I can't continue to fool myself into thinking that just the next thing is going to make me happy. So I dove head headlong into this study of happiness and I started applying what I was learning and it worked. And I would say, if you were grading me back then, I'd be a, a D plus in happiness, almost failing. Now I'm an A. Now that doesn't mean I'm not a work in progress because I am, <laughs> I'm always working on it, but I'm a solid A. And that really, you know, and especially in these days when there's so much stuff going on on the outside in our world, to have this inner sta state of peace and well-being is really, really important. It doesn't mean that we aren't aware of what's going on in the world, but we have resilience to bounce back. Yeah. It's almost like being grounded. I, like what's coming up for me is like being grounded into the earth, right? Like you're on your, your, you know, this idea like Pema Chodron talks about, like you're the sky and everything else is just the weather. You know, you're, you've, you're this sort of grounded force that can't be swayed by these external events. I beautiful. love that. You're the sky and everything that's around you is the weather. the weather. That's beautiful. Yeah, it just comes and it goes. <laughs> yeah, and you know, no. some of the weather we prefer more than others, mm -hmm. but it doesn't, it doesn't shake that inner deep state. Yeah. Yeah. So you went out and found in, in, in her book, spoiler alert, and you talk about this early, so I'm not spoiling anything. I don't think a, a wonderful reason to, to read specifically happy for no reason, which I absolutely love. And I have red chicken soup for the women's soul as well, but the happy 100. So tell us about the happy 100 and your research. Yes. So I found, I interviewed a hundred people that I call unconditionally happy. Um, that means that their lives weren't necessarily perfect, but they were happy anyway. And, um, and I found that the, there was only one difference between them and everybody else. And you're going to like this, aren't you? I know. you. Mm, I know what you're going to say. The one difference between everybody, the happiest happy hundred and everybody else is their habits. Mm. That is the one thing that distinguished them. And, and there are certain happiness habits that we can mm. all practice, you know, <clears throat> the research out there on the happiness set point, I'm sure you've spoken about that. Yeah. And just this idea that, you know, it was, you know, I, I'm a big fan of um, Dr. Andrew Huberman, who's a neuroscientist at Stanford. And I took um, him and Pat Dosett, who was my first interviewee actually um, here on the Habits for Happiness radio show. And I took their program made for, and so their whole thing is about building habits and their whole thing is to debunk the idea of a happiness set point that the data yeah. did show that we had this happiness set point, but now the data shows that we're quite plastic. And so in neuroplasticity, we can make ourselves happier on a daily basis. And this idea of taking our days as like these microcosms of our whole life. So if we break our days down into the smallest, you know, what we, how we show up every day is how we show up in our life. So if we can just concentrate on our, how we show up each day, then we can go on to have this oh. happy life. 
I love your saying of that. And, and, you know, honestly, for me, the most interesting part of the research on the set point was that only 10% of it was circumstantial. The rest was either our genetics or our mm -hmm. habits. And people like Dr. Bruce Lipton, who's an expert in the field of epigenetics, has shown that even our genes can be influenced or changed by our habits. And, and that means 90% of what they would call, what would be referred to as the set point, is really about our habits. It's something that we influence. And as you said, what we do every day, what we do in this moment, what we do in the next moment is what we are and what we become. And so that's where the power and the juice is. <laughs> and all the juice. It's so simple. You know, I think that people sometimes when I sort of, you know, talk about my personal philosophy of habits for happiness, think it can't be that simple. You know, it can't yeah. be as simple as like water and sleep and being kind. And, you know, I go back to it. It, it always has been. It's just that we have lost the ability to hear it anymore, right? Yes. And yeah, we think things have to be complicated. We think that, and and why? This is like time-tested wisdom, you know. What you're, you know, I mean, yeah. and and even with yeah, I mean, just just what you're saying that the habits. It's really a matter of what are you doing in every moment. What baby steps are you taking to create? positive habits. Well, I have a question. This is a curiosity question. How did you find the happy 100? Because I went into my life and listeners may be listening along and thinking to themselves, like, who is the happiest person that you know? And I have a couple people here where I live in Aspen, uh, specifically Chris Klug, who was on my second episode, who talked about mindset is the happiest, one of the happiest human beings. People meet him and they're like, you know, he's an Olympic medalist and he's a uh, survivor almost died of a liver disease. And he is really so happy and people meet him and think to themselves, this guy is, cannot be this happy. And so he would be someone I identify as that happy, but I actually don't know anyone who's as happy as he is. So was it hard to find the happy 100? It, it was, it really was. I mean, I would find people um, who I would ask everybody I knew who's the happiest person, you know, and then I would go interview them and, you know, half of them were circumstantially happy, mm. you know, they're happy because, you know, not happy, just, mm -hmm. you know, for no, for no reason. And so I had to eliminate those people. And, and there were people that I'd found, I, I traveled a lot in those days and I would ask the person sitting next to me on the airplane. And I, I, I actually came up with one or two people from that, or they would tell me of somebody, I mean, there's a man, um, he, I, he's no longer around. Uh, uh oh, what's his name? Uh, he was in the um, in Bermuda, Bermuda or the Bahamas, um, and and he would just stand on the street corner every day and wave to people. He's in the book, and I'm just forgetting his name right now. And and just everybody in the town would know he was the happy guy. They've even done little feature, little films on him and things. So it was up. just fun to get to explore who is really happy. Yeah. Yeah. And there wasn't a common denominator with like socioeconomic wealth or no. Yeah. No. no. Isn't that interesting? What I found is that there were 21 main happiness habits and I was able to couple categorize those into seven main areas. And I know we're going to talk about one yeah, of those yeah. areas today, but can I just tell what all seven are? As an Go overview? for it. Yes. Yes. Okay. Great. Because what I like people to do is to take a look at all seven of these areas and ask yourself, where am I the weakest? Because wherever you're the weakest, that's your Achilles heel. That's where you want to focus first. Cause you'll get the most, you know, yeah. bang for your buck on yeah. that. Um, so people have a hard time remembering seven of anything. So I, I created an analogy and a metaphor. I call it building your inner home for happiness. And a home has seven main components. It's got a foundation, four corner pillars, a roof, and a garden. And here's how this relates to the seven main areas of happiness. And I want everybody listening to at, at the end of this, I'm going to ask you, where are you the weakest? And lady, you're going to be my guinea pig on this. Great, so you're great. Have to answer yes, that yes I will. I will. Okay, good, good. So the foundation is your um, ability to take responsibility for your happiness. Do you show up in life as a victim in life? And you know, you're a victim if you're blaming, shaming, or complaining. Everything is everybody else's problem or it's not your you know, problem or it's not, you, know, you didn't do anything. Um, 
Blaming, shaming, or complaining. So that's number one, taking responsibility for your life and your happiness. Number two, then we go to the four corner pillars. There's the pillar of the mind. And that has to do with your thoughts. Do your thoughts rob you of your happiness? Then there's the pillar of the heart. Do you live with an open heart? And I have never met a truly happy person who had a closed heart. And then there's the pillar of the body. Do you have the biochemistry of happiness? Do you have enough serotonin, endorphins, oxytocin? And then the pillar of the soul. The soul is, do you feel connected to a greater energy in the universe? So those are the four corner pillars, the mind, the heart, the body, and the soul. Then there's the roof, and that's your purpose or passion in life. Are you living a purposeful, passionate life? Do you feel inspired? Do you wake up in the morning saying, yes, my life has meaning? And then there is the garden and the garden has to do with who are you surrounded by? Mm -hmm. Do you surround yourself with the roses and gardenias, meaning the people who support you in your happiness? Or are there a lot of weeds in there? Maybe the people who are dragging your happiness down. So those are the seven areas. Where are you the weakest taking responsibility for your life and happiness, your mind, your heart, your body, your soul, your purpose or passion, and your garden, who you're surrounding yourself with. So... What's mine? I can mind. This is easy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) My mind. I am, uh, you know, in all other areas, I could go into it at a different conversation. I, I feel quite grounded. Um, I'm a very big open heart, but my, my mind likes to be a bit of a, you know, can be tough on me, really tough on me. And um, I have, you know, I, I'm a big follower of Brene Brown and Byron Katie. So I know that my mind is not my thoughts are not me, but at the same time, it still will trip me up. And it, you know, it will, sometimes my heart will close a bit if my mind is really active. And so my journey and my, you know, I'm living my purpose through coaching and, and, and spreading happiness and habits and this message that, you know, my personal work is to constantly quiet that sort of critter brain part of me and calm my nervous system down enough so that I can be like my, you know, it sounds buzzwordy, but my authentic self. Yeah. And, all. And, yeah. and so I just have to live a bit of a quieter life than maybe I once did. And that means that I have to make choices about these other things that you've described um, that I'm putting myself first a lot and living, you know, my intuition's quite strong. Everyone's is, it's just that it wasn't until I lived a quieter life that I could really hear it and be directed by it. So that's sort of the battle that I face if there was one place. Yeah. Well, you and, and, and the rest of the world actually, <laughs> because, you know, as we know from the research that we do have a negativity bias, the average person yeah. has 60,000 thoughts a day and 80% of them tend to be negative because we inherited this trait from our cavemen ancestors who needed to remember the negatives and we don't need that. And I believe that those of us who are, are on this path that are really, really um, wanting to experience greater happiness, our, our part of our role is to break this, um, this pattern, not just for us, but you know, for, for, for generations to come, they say that when we break an old pattern, that we heal seven generations before and oh, seven generations gosh. after. I have, I have the chills. Yeah. I am um, a big fan of the Hoffman process of which I attended, which is a big patterning up near in your neck of the woods, but. No, um, no, wait, 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 wait. I have to give a plug to the Hoffman process as well. <laughs> so um, Liza and Raz and Grassi, who are, yes, the, who are yes. the founders of the Hoffman process are dear friends of mine. And we're at my birthday party yesterday in my house. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I have to tell them hi. So, so my longtime therapist here in Aspen, Colorado is Annie Denver and she is friends from them from the seventies. So yes. so yes, when I got, when I went, she was very excited and I'm, I'll let her listen to this, but very excited about all of them. Cause they're, Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I love the Hoffman process. Absolutely love that. Really, really great. But what were you saying about Hoffman process? Oh, I was just oh, saying the, the Hoffman process for anyone that's listening who may want to know more is about this idea of breaking generational patterns yes. and, and true work to break patterns. And, and you can almost, it's like, you know, you hear glass breaking every time you break a pattern, but it is, you know, it, we aren't passing. I have a 10 year old and a 12 year old. 
Um, and it is wonderful to know that perhaps I'm living differently than the generations before me and that they will therefore live differently. And, you know, that's my greatest hope. And, and I have to say, I did put a jar, a shaming, complaining and blaming jar with, 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 with nickels and whatever for my kids. And now every time anyone says anything in my family, they were like, are you shaming, blaming or complaining? <laughs> oh, that's so great. We should say what that is. It's called the blame, yes. shame and complain game. And it's great to play with your family. Oh my gosh. Especially if you have kids, every time you find yourself blaming, shaming or complaining, you put a nickel or a dime or a dollar, whatever you want to do into a jar and you become really, you start to become really aware of how often it happens. Just yeah. And with kids, so that's breaking a pattern, right? So it can, totally. a pattern can be blaming, you know, other people for our unhappiness, you know, in the context of this conversation. And I noticed that my kids oftentimes will blame things on others or complain or shame each other. And I was like, I'm going to break this pattern with this game. So thank you for that. That was really, and now it's become this sort of like ongoing joke in my house. Um, But it's great because even the joke brings up the awareness, right? Yes. happening. Yeah. I love that. Well, aren't your kids lucky to have you as a mom? <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I'm sure we'll send them to the Hoffman process. I was like, well, I should just buy them like pre, pre, pre-entry pre forms um, for later in life. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting that as long as we're talking about this, I'll mention this. Yeah. You know, I said that I was born depressed and it was weird because my family was a nice family. You know, I didn't have like that, the, the, the typical reasons to be depressed. And I hear this from a lot of people. They go, well, I don't know why I feel this way. I just do. I actually believe that 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 it, uh, some of it is ancestral. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we have inherited this and that, that we are here, the con- you know, people who are more conscious around all this and have the ability to, to have conversations like this or listen to your wonderful show. Um, that that there we're here really specifically to not just for our own healing but for the healing that can can have a huge ripple effect not only on the people all around us but you know they say that our happiness affects at least five people out that um if you're happier it's affecting your neighbor's son's school teacher's cousin yeah you know you don't even have to know the person that's just the effect the impact that our own happiness has on people all around us. Yeah, it's a force field, right? It's this yes. energetic force field. Totally. So, so let's let's talk about let love lead because that's the habit that you chose today. So, so tell me why this habit and, yeah. and what it is. So, let love lead is the, about the pillar of the heart, and it's about living with an open heart. And as I said, anyone that I've ever met who was happy has had an open heart. And, um, and what I found is, in fact, for me, the reason I love it is this particular one is I also have had, you know, my hardest one has been the mind. And I found that one of the easiest ways for me to help the mind spinning out is through dropping into the heart, going in through the channel of the heart. And in fact, every year I pick a theme for the year. That's kind of like one word or one mm-hmm. phrase that's my guiding light for the year, that that's the thing I'm going to just be focused on. And, you know, one year it was trust and another year it was ease and another year it was mm, abundant flow or whatever. What's you this know. year? You have to tell us. This year is open hearted love. Wow. And what I'm finding is when I start to spin out in my thoughts, I just remember open hearted love and I just drop into my heart and do whatever healing work I can do with my heart that actually then settles down my mind. You know, Ram Dass, um, who beloved teacher um, and author of a book that I loved in the 70s, Be Here Now. Um, And he later wrote a book called Be Love Now. You know, he spoke about how the, the most important journey we ever take is that that short journey from our heads to our hearts. Mm. So open-hearted love really has to do, or the, the, this whole theme of the, of the pillar of the heart has to do with, do you have loving kindness? Do you have gratitude? Do you forgive? You know, the energy of the heart is so, is so expansive. It's so when we, when we haven't, when we feel that we're in the flow of life, we feel that, that, that just life is buzzing along and, we are, we are filled with love. It changes the flow of everything. Yeah. I mean, what was so poignant in your work is you said, 
I believe um, you ask yourself, point to yourself, right? Yes. And yeah, let's have everybody do it right now at home. <laughs> point to yourself. Okay, notice where you're pointing to. Is anybody pointing to their little toe? No, we don't consider ourselves our little toe. We consider ourselves our heart in every spiritual tradition throughout time. The heart has been considered the seat of the soul. You know, it's the diamond in the heart, the lotus in the heart. That's who we are identified with. We're not even, we're not our thoughts. We're this beautiful energetic being of love. They say that our essence is love. Yeah. So on that note, um, we're going to jump to break, but when we come back, I want to talk about the two primary emotions being love and fear. That one really struck me. And then to tie it into this whole idea of forgiveness, I had a client yesterday that reached out to me and our work together was to write a forgiveness letter to someone in her life. And she said, I'm so angry. And why am I so angry? And um, I said, well, you know, from the reading I've been doing, it says that the emotion under anger is fear, which is the opposite of love. And so um, we'll talk more about that after break, but hang on, everybody. We'll be right back uh, talking about the habit, the wonderful habit of letting love lead. Thank you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Want to reward clients, customers, or employees with a gift that will blow their socks off? We at International Gifting Company have your next corporate event covered. We carry 250 personalized gifts for on-site incentive events. Or we can create virtual gift boxes your employees and clients can receive at home. Contact us today for a quick and free proposal. We love to wow. Contact info at intlgiftingco.com or check out our webpage at intlgiftingco.com. Try out a free coaching session with your host, Lady Fuller, to learn more about her individualized and corporate coaching programs. Learn to drop bad habits and pick up healthier habits to live a healthier life. Email her at lady at happinessmba.com. That's L-A-D-Y at happinessmba.com. Or check out our coaching business at habits, the letter for happiness.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Habits for Happiness. To reach the show today, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Now, back to our program, and here again is Lady Fuller. And we're back. Thanks, everybody, for hanging in there. Um, We're back here on Habits for Happiness with Marcy Shimoff talking about let love lead. So before the break, we had mentioned that in Marcy's work, she had talked about the two primary emotions being love and fear. Marcy, can you tell us briefly about this concept? Because to me, it was so powerful, also tied to these two ideas of expansion and contraction. Yes, yes. So there are two energies in the universe. There is the energy of contraction. There is the energy of expansion. It's hard to feel bad when we are expanded and it's hard to feel good when we are contracted. Love, I relate to the energy of expansion. Fear, I relate to the energy of contraction. And I want to prove this to everybody. So I'm going to do a little experiment with you. Now we can't see you, but we're going to, I'm trusting you to do this with us because I want you to feel this in your body. I want everybody right now to curl up into a little ball, get really, really tight. And in that contracted energy, on the count of three, I want you to say, I feel happy. Ready? One, two, three. I feel happy. Okay, you can sit up now. Did you feel happy? Probably not. Maybe a little stupid curling up in that little ball, but it's (laughs) not happy. You can't feel happy when you're just contracted. The opposite is also true. When you are expanded, it's hard to feel bad. So I want you to put your arms way out to the side, open up your chest, 
And on the count of three, I want you to say, I feel depressed. Ready? <laughs> One, two, three. I feel, feel depressed. depressed. Okay. Did you feel depressed? Probably not. Not with your arms wide open, your chest out, you're feeling energy. So what, why do I do that? Because I want, I want you to get a kinesthetic feeling in your body of what it feels like when you're expanded and contracted and how it's, how much better it feels when you're expanded. So it's been said that pretty much every emotion underneath, underneath anger, underneath sadness, underneath guilt is ultimately fear. Fear is the emotion that contracts us. Love is the emotion or the, the energy that expands us. Mm -hmm. So what we want to do is we want to heal the things that contract us and we want to lean into whatever expands us. Again, so simple, right? Truly. Yeah. Just so simple. Okay. Well, let's talk about let love lead. <laughs> All right. Let's get really habits. practical. This is where yes, the rubber yes. meets the road. Yes. I am going to give you two or three actual simple processes that you can do starting today to raise your happiness level and, um, and to let your heart open. So I found that there are three main um, habits in that uh, letting love lead in the, in the area of the heart that are the fast track to opening your heart. And I'll just go through all three of them if that's okay. Yeah. Um, one is gratitude. One is forgiveness. And the other is loving kindness. And so let's just talk about gratitude to begin with. You know, there's an old saying, what you appreciate appreciates. If you want more of something great in your life, then appreciate what you have now of it. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you a little story about how I learned about gratitude um, and the power of it. It happened back in 1987. It was, um, I was, I had just um, broken up with the boyfriend. We had been in a relationship for a couple of years. I really loved him. His name was Bob. And, um, but I knew he wasn't my life partner and I was getting older and I wanted to get married. And I, I believe that, you know, you had to, had to create a vacuum, had to create the space for the partner to come in. So I broke up with Bob. No fight. There was no fight or anything. It was just, we still loved each other, but time for me to make space. Well, two weeks later, he fell in love. Not only did he fall in love, he fell in love with a friend of mine who lived around the corner from me. Now, I didn't want to date Bob anymore, but I didn't want anybody else to either, at least not that soon. <laughs> and I went into a funk. I really went into, it was the dark night of the soul. I was, it was as though someone had, had stuck a dagger into my heart. It didn't make any sense. You know, I should have been happy for both of them, but I wasn't. She lived around the corner and I would have to learn new ways to drive home. So I would avoid driving by her house, um, mm. seeing his car outside her house, you know. Well, this funk lasted for, for way, way too long. I, I was in it like three months later. And one day there was a knock at my door and she, she, it was her, it was her, it was Holly. And Holly, um, said, you got to let me in. So I, we, I let her in. We sat and had some tea. And she said, Marcy, you are in a funk because you're looking at everything that's not working in your life, which is, that you're not with Bob and I am. She said, that's all your focus is on. She said, you've got a million things to be grateful for and you're not focusing on those. She said, I want you to promise me that every day for the next 21 days, you're going to write down three things a day that you're grateful for before you go to sleep. And this was well before any of the research oh was my done goodness. on gratitude. This was like way ahead of the curve. I, nobody had ever heard about gratitude back then. I mean, really, I don't know where she came up with this, but yeah, um, we want to hate Holly, but she's kind of the, she's I know. the victor well, in the story. <laughs> well, here's how the story gets even better. So I promised her that I would do that. The second thing she said is, and we're going to form a women's group support mm. group. And so we did. Um, and so I, for the next 21 days, I wrote down everything I was grateful for or three or four things I was grateful for that day. The first day was really hard. You know, I'm grateful that I have arms. I grateful right. that I had lunch. And, but by the 21st day I was out of my funk and then Holly and I formed this women's group of, of six women. We're still all very, very dear friends. We would meet every week until I moved away out of the town. And, uh, a year later after that, by the way, I went to, um, the wedding of Holly and Bob and sat in the front row. And now I just RSVP'd to the invitation to um, sit in the family section at her daughter's wedding. 
Oh, wow. So Holly and Bob are still together. Holly and Bob are still together, whatever that is, 30, <laughs> 30 something years later. Uh, that was wow. a lot of 34 years later, I think. Yeah. And so, so tell us about the next habit, because I think this plays into your story about Holly and Bob, right? Yeah. So the next habit is the habit of forgiveness. Mm. You know, most people who are walking around with a closed heart have some places in their heart where they're holding resentment, anger, grudges, lack of forgiveness. Forgiveness is truly one of the fast tracks to becoming happier. And I needed to forgive Bob. I needed to forgive Holly. They weren't doing anything to me. You know, mm. they were living their life. And I also needed to forgive myself mm. because I needed to, um, to, I mean, that was a big healing for me. I needed to not go into feeling like, oh my God, uh, Holly's better than I am. She's with Bob and I'm not, you know, all those things that we do to ourselves are just thoughts. They're not really in our hearts. An open-hearted person would actually have trust for their own life and would feel happy for Bob and Holly. So, um, I didn't know this process back then, but I've since learned there are many forgiveness techniques. The one I like using that's been very powerful for me is um, a practice called Ho'oponopono, mm. which is based on the Kuhuna Hawaiian tradition. And I'll just tell the very simple version yeah. of it. There's a much more uh, detailed and, and proper version, and but I did ask permission from a, a Kuhuna a Hawaiian shaman to be able to share this so that um, it's a very simple practice where you you bring into your heart um, the person or situation that you need to forgive. Now, here's what's really important. This isn't for their sake. You never have to. This person could be dead. This person could be somebody you never intend to talk to again. It does not matter. You are forgiving for your benefit, not for theirs. Mm -hmm. That's the value of it. Because as long as you hold on to the resentment, then, you know, you're the one that loses. There's a there's yeah. an old saying that, that when you don't forgive, you're taking poison and expecting the other person to die. <laughs> exactly. This idea is Nelson Mandela. It's a very good one. Yeah. So um, so with Ho'oponopono, all you do is you put get an image of the person in front of you and you wish them these four phrases. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. And you just sit with that for a few minutes, maybe a few minutes every day until it starts to really loosen up. And then I always like to include bringing in uh, towards the end of that practice, uh, an image of myself as well. Mm. Because always, whenever there's a lack of forgiveness, we're always not forgiving this other person, but also there's something about ourselves that we're not forgiving as well. Yeah. Yeah, for putting ourselves in the situation or, you know, for being in the whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Right. Oh, I love this. Yeah. And I just want to just quickly mention the power of forgiveness in my own life. I was, I have an ex-husband who is a lovely human being. Our our marriage had reached its spiritual conclusion, literally. And we parted very amicable ways. And he all went on to be with um, a good friend of mine who is amazing. And I, for a long time, was holding on to anger about it. And I also had a dark night of the soul. It was interesting. It was very similar. And so I read about that and I tried everything. I got very sick. I I tried to you know exercise it out or be angry or whatever it was. And it went on for about a year or so. And I finally, after trying everything that I knew how to try, you know, and I'm a coach, right? And I <laughs> read help self book, read self help books for a living. I I just finally said, you know, there's something in me that I need to forgive, and it was this letting go process. And and since that I did this forgiveness process, I have never had more energy and inner happiness. It was like wow, I wish someone had told me this before. And I knew this because I'd been to the Hoffman process and that's a big proponent of the component of the Hoffman process is when you leave to forgive and clear up any grudges. So I'd done this forgiveness work before. It was just interesting. And that was the best I'd ever felt in my entire life after I did that work. And it was interesting. I just had to repeat the work in this other area of my life. And then it was like, it was like, not only did my heart open, but like the world opened up again. 
Right. And the, the, the amazing thing is like, we can apply this and everyone can apply this to somewhere in their life. And this opening, I, you know, every time I've, I've go through this process, a lot of it's forgiving ourselves, but I feel like I get like a peek behind the curtain or something. It's like, Oh, <laughs> I was walling myself off from the world through my own anger. Well, shame on me, you know, I shouldn't shame myself. But the, but the point is, is that we all have access to this beautiful perspective, this beautiful mm-hmm. mindset and mm-hmm. the portal is gratitude and forgiveness, right? Yes. Isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. That really is. I like to think of it. I kind of imagine that I've got these two angels, mm-hmm. over, one over each shoulder, and one is the angel of gratitude, and one is the angel of forgiveness. And those yeah. are kind of the the things that just the that I need to call on. Often, yeah. You know? I mean, if we lived in a more forgiving world, I'm not even oh. sure what would happen. <laughs> I know, and and that's important. I think for us to even envision. You know, mm. is this more, is this more loving and forgiving world? Yeah. And it's kind of like this thing I always tell my kids, like, you know, even if it's not even forgiveness, we have to give other people the benefit of the doubt if we ever want it to be afforded to us. Yes. And it's sort of the same with forgiveness. Like we're imperfect by design for humans. Yeah. So forgiveness is something that if, you know, very transactional, if we are able to give it, we can receive it, maybe not from that situation, but in other areas of our life where we may need it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Habit number three. The three, number three is loving kindness. And, you know, there's a lot of research that's been done about the, the value of giving, of altruism, of care, of loving care. And, and, but I want to be really careful that, to mention that this is not over care or over giving. Over giving, which is what we do when we don't feel like we're enough or we, mm-hmm. need, we need somebody's approval or, or we need something back. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about care and giving and kindness that's just coming from a, a, a genuine, pure place of let me, let me, let me wish well for others. And there's a, a beautiful um, story of a woman that I interviewed. Um, CJ is her name. <laughs> Having a hard time with names today. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, so CJ, I interviewed for Happy for No Reason. And she told the story about how she had been very uh, sick, quite ill. She'd had lupus. She'd had a lot of, um, a lot of physical pain. And, um, she was actually having to walk with a walker, um, and a lot of things were failing her and the doctors told her that she really, you know, she, she needed to, 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 um, take, do something for her health. And she, um, she decided one day to go see a, um, a Buddhist Lama who was in town visiting. And she was so excited because she thought, oh, he's going to have so much compassion for me. He's going to, and she remembered the day of the, of the meeting. She almost had to crawl up the door. She could barely walk. And she went in and, and she told him all of her problems. And, and rather than, um, you know, commiserating with her, he said, you know, um, you're just feeling sorry for yourself quite Mm -hmm. a lot. And I want you to, um, to give some, some care and love to others. And she thought, oh, how could he, how could he, how could he not see what misery I'm in? Mm-hmm. But, um, but he, she decided, you know, I've got nothing to lose. So I'm going to take his advice. And his advice to her was for a hundred days that she do what's called a loving kindness uh, meditation. It's also called a meta meditation. Yeah. And that is where you just sit every, every morning for a few minutes and you wish good for other people. A simple version of that prayer is may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you live with ease. And she sat and did that um, every morning, um, it, first towards herself. May I be safe? May I be happy? May I be healthy? May I live with ease? And then towards others and ultimately towards the whole world. She would do that for a few minutes every day. And a year later, she went back to visit him, completely healed. Wow. Completely and totally yeah. healed. Yeah. Because, you know, this idea of loving kindness, it's contagious as well. Yes. Yeah. It's an energy, right? And it is. It's a, it's a, it's a sense of, you know, our hearts are all innately good. It's just that they've gotten a little shut down over time through experiences. So our job is to reopen them. And part of what reopens them is actually wishing good for others, which brings us back to our innate authentic self. 
Yeah. And, and it's like, what's the relationship with that and forgiveness? Yeah, they're very, very similar. One is forgiving. Um, you know, I'm just letting that go. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm not condoning what happened. That's really important with forgiveness. Mm-hmm. It's not about condoning. It's not about saying it was okay. It's about saying, I'm not going to let that continue to run my life. Yeah. Loving kindness is a little different in that you're actually proactively wishing for that person good for their future. Right. And can you practice loving kindness for yourself? Of course. In fact, you must. We must. Really important to practice that. You know, that's the, may I be safe? May I be happy? May I be healthy? May I live with ease? And and just on a daily basis, how are you giving yourself loving kindness? I like to, I like to suggest this question that people ask themselves. What's the most loving thing I could do for myself right now? Simple mm-hmm. question. It might be I can take a glass of water or I could get some fresh air or I could call up a friend. It doesn't matter what the answer is, but just do something that's kind for yourself. Ooh, I have the chills. That's amazing. Especially here on Valentine's Day. Yes. Yes. yes we yes. can be our own Valentine's. So tell me, you know, one of my favorite questions for everyone <laughs> is, is we're pivoting here, but is, do you have a morning routine? I do. Tell I us love about the it. morning routine. And I know <laughs> that you are a huge fan of the morning routine. I'm like, routine. that's my, I love a morning routine. I, I think love that, a morning routine I think too. that, you know, all these wonderful things of gratitude and forgiveness and loving kindness sort of start there, right? Because it's all about positioning ourselves to be able to be this open-hearted individual as we walk through our day. So about six months ago, my husband and I started a, a practice of the appreciation practice. Mm-hmm. We've done it sporadically, but now we do it every day. We wake up in the morning and we say a couple of things that we appreciate about each other. And we do the same thing before we go to sleep at night. Oh, wow. So, you know, just could be something simple. I appreciate that you really helped out with the party yesterday. I appreciate that you have such a great sense of humor it could be something they did or just something they are. You could repeat it a hundred times. Somebody, people can't hear it too much. So I start with that. And then I have a real kind of a, I'm into Ayurvedic mm-hmm. um, health routine. So I drink hot water and I do a, a self-massage. It's called an Abhyanga before I take my shower. Wow. And then I meditate and I listen to um, to a little bit of um some, some chanting, um, right after that. And then I start my day. Sometimes I exercise before I work. Sometimes I exercise at the end of the day. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing your Intel on your morning routine. Cause I think a morning routine is, you know, so indicative of the human being, right? So if Mm -hmm. we can sort of, it's back to this idea of like having agency over your inner game, Mm-hmm. Right. And being able to really, you know, live from this sort of un what, what I my definition of happiness is sort of this idea of being unbothered. Right. Because your oh, nice. your inner inner self is so centered, if you will, that like all the wind and noise that's happening, you know, it's sort of you're steadfast in your stuff. Right. And yes. Unfettered. unfettered. Well, if people want to have you speak or, you know, want to know more of you or how would they access you and tell us also in that part, what are you working on now? What can, Mm. what can I look forward to next? Yes. So um, you can go to happy for no reason.com happy for F O R no reason.com. And in fact, on there, I've got a, a gift of, of a booklet that's got 20, all 21 of the happiness habits with an mm. exercise, a practice that goes with each one. So I welcome you to, to enjoy that as my gift. And the other thing that I'm most super excited about is I uh, lead a program every year called Your Year of Miracles. And it's about how to live a miraculous life, how to get into what I call the miracle zone, that place where life is just in the flow. Mm. And um, we have over 5,000 people from 88 countries in the year-long program right now. I feel like we're the the uh, United Nations Love Fest version. And so you can go to youryearofmiracles.com for information about that. Wow. And is this related to the Course of Miracles at all? Or No, it's no. not, though. I absolutely love The Course in Miracles. And yep. it's an incredible, incredible book. But that is not um, related. But yeah. oh my gosh, that sounds amazing! It, it really is. I've been. This is my ninth year doing it, 
And I just every year continue to get more and more blown away by what miracles people are having in every area of their life. It's just, it's phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, the, our ability to, um, to even manifest our own sort of miracles, the veil is so thin there, right? It comes back to. It it comes back to our state, you know, I call it, (laughs) we can't create miracles, you know, but what we can do is create the conditions Mm. for miracles to flow into our life. And that's what we're doing. We're putting ourselves in the flow of miracles. Oh, wow. I love that. So in parting, what is yes. one thing you'd want our audience to know about Let Love Lead? What was, you know, what yeah. would be their takeaway? So, you know, people are often asking me, is it selfish to want mm-hmm. to be happier? Is it selfish? All that we've talked about today, that's just for me. What about, you know, the rest of the world? We need, we need to help the world. And my belief is that the best thing we can do for the whole world is to be our best selves, to really feel our greatest happiness and, and open our heart the most. And I'll leave you with a Chinese proverb that sums yeah. it up. It goes like this. When there is light in the soul, there will be beauty in the person. When there is beauty in the person, there will be harmony in the house. When there is harmony in the house, there will be order in the nation. And when there is order in the nation, there will be peace in the world. And my prayer and my wish for all of us is that we know that light in our own hearts and souls. And through that, we help create more peace here on this planet of ours. Oh my gosh, that is beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. And thank you so much for being here, Marcy. This has been a beautiful conversation on a very loving day um, on Valentine's Day. So we've reached the end of the show, but please check out my Facebook group at Habits for Happiness. We can talk more about this conversation. And just remember everyone, the road to happiness is paved with healthy habits. So please listen next week for another riveting conversation on a powerful habit that can change your life. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Habits for Happiness. Please join Lady Fuller for another edition of the program next Friday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, discover how to find your new happy place.